0: You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Coming Home. This series explores the invitation God extends to us, not an invitation to follow a list of rules, but to find rest for our souls. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Last week, when we started this series, we looked at the younger brother. And uh, one of the things that we saw in the younger brother that we'll also see in the older brother is that both of these brothers are really estranged from their home and they're homesick. And one of the things that we saw there is that actually our hearts are estranged from God until we come home to Him, and because of that, we're homesick. It's the reason that no matter how much money we have, no matter how well we do in our career, no matter how well we are uh, morally or how good we behave, we, we, we feel this sense of estrangement or this sense of disconnection from God, and we feel homesick. And, and whatever we pursue in this world, we're always feeling like we need something more. And it's the reason why uh, what we would say is that our hearts are longing for eternity or that, that garden that God created in the beginning, our hearts are longing for that. And although we don't have that yet, we're longing for it. Even if we don't know that we want it, really that's what we want. And so all of us at some point in our life hits to hit this point or live in this place of feeling as though something isn't right and something needs to be made right. I remember when I hit that point in my own life where it just felt like there was this black hole inside of me. And I thought to myself, there has to be more to life than this. And that's the feeling of being homesick. If you've ever asked that question in your life, you've ever felt as though there must be something more to life than this, than that for you, is that you really have been homesick and there's been something more for you. And if the reality is that all of us have gone astray, that all of us are estranged, whether through wild living or through active obedience, if we're estranged from our Father and having the question for us is, how do we get back home? How do we get back home to a right relationship with God? How do we get back home to where we don't feel this sense of what is missing and what am I lacking and what do I need, but we feel the sense of I'm completely and totally satisfied in my father? How do we get back to that place? And in this story, the younger son was alienated from home because he loved the father's things more than he loved the father himself. And what we see in this story is that the older son also loved the father's things more than he loved the father himself and you and I were alienated from our home because we love the father's things more than we love the father himself and and if we're ever going to get back home we have to first come to this place that the younger son came to where he came to his senses or he realized he snapped into reality and said oh my gosh my way didn't work what I was doing and the way that I thought I could go about life and kind of accomplishing and achieving and getting what I want really isn't the best answer. And if we're ever going to come back to our home in heaven, we have to come first to this place. And each and every one of us, isn't something that anyone can do for us. It's something we must do for ourselves. We must come back to this place of realizing my way doesn't work. My way only leads to emptiness. My way only leads to pain. My way only leads to me hurting my relationship with my father and me hurting my relationship with other people. And so we humble ourselves and we come back to our father and we say, father, we need you to bring us back, and this younger son. What's beautiful about this story is he comes home, and his father welcomes him back with open arms. His father runs to him and puts a ring on his. I don't have my wedding ring on this morning. I, I'm a little too fat, and so it uh, doesn't fit anymore. But uh, he puts a ring on his finger. You know, and I wish I had a ring on my finger, but I need to lose a few first. So, this younger son gets a ring on his finger and a robe on his back and shoes for his feet and a a fattened calf for him and this father says my son was lost but now he's found and he was dead but now he's alive and he was gone but now he's home and that's what happens if you're a younger son this morning and you come back to God that's how God responds to you and that's the first act of the story but the second act of the story is that there's another son and, and, and this story is called the story of the prodigal son or the story of the, the, the lost son is what some others would call it. But upon looking at this story, you, you, you might think on first glance that it's the younger son who's lost. But when you look at the story, the story ends with the older son being the one who's actually lost. And when we look at it further, we may realize that some of us are actually lost this morning. It's important to understand the audience that Jesus is talking to here in the story. In Luke 15.1, he says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying this man receives sinners and eats with them and so Jesus told them these Parables, And he told them three parables. He tells them the parable of the lost sheep. This man had a sheep and he lost it and he left 99 sheep and went to find the lost sheep. And this woman who had 10 silver coins and she had these 10 coins and she lost them. She lost one of them and so she lights a lamp and flips the house upside down to go and get this one coin that she lost. And there's a great celebration and finally there's a lost Son. And through the first two parables and the first half of the third parable, what Jesus is communicating is our Father in Heaven's heart. He's communicating that our Father in Heaven is not a Father who's looking for those who think they have their act cleaned up. He's looking for those who are on the outside. He's looking for the outcast. He's looking for the one who's outside of the inner circle. He's looking for the one that no one loves. That's who the Father in Heaven is after. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. He didn't come for the moral. He came for the immoral. And so these first two and a half parable, the first two parables and the first half of the second parable is like jabs to the face because Jesus is saying, you guys think you have your act together. You think you're the cool kids on the block, but Father in heaven has come for those who aren't the cool kids. On the block. Father in heaven has come for those who are drug addicts and prostitutes and w- wasting their life on wild living, those who you wouldn't think would fit in church. That's who Father in heaven's come for, and that's why I'm doing this, Jesus says, is because I've come to represent Father in heaven. And so these first two and a half parables are like jabs to the face, and then this, the last half of this third parable is like the knockout blow because Jesus finishes this parable not with the older son also coming home and the older son also receiving his father, but the older son actually stays lost. And these Pharisees who said to Jesus, this man receives sinners and eats with them, Jesus is saying back to them, and you don't even know your father and you think you know your Father because you're at home and you're in church and you've obeyed all those years and you've served all those years and you've done all those things that you thought would make you right with God. You've done all those things that you thought made you clean on the outside. Like Jesus says to the Pharisees, you whitewash tombs. You're so cleaned up. You clean the exterior of the cup. You clean the exterior of your life. You attend church on Sundays and you give 10% and you serve and you do all the right things, but inside... You're wicked, and you don't know mercy, and you don't know justice, and you don't know the grace of this Father that loves you. And so he's pointing to them, and it's this knockout blow that you're lost. You thought the one who messed up his life and threw it all away, you thought he was lost. And he was, but he's been found. But you're still lost. I mean, this is the greatest day of the Father's life. This is the greatest moment of his entire existence. This is the moment where the father is most ecstatic. The son that he thought he lost. The son that he thought was dead. The son that he thought would never be home with him again. The son who disrespected him and spit in his face and said, Father, I want nothing to do with you. Has just come home. And he's ecstatic. And he's rejoicing. And his older brother, instead of rejoicing with his father and being ecstatic with his father pouting and self-pity and he cares about himself. Verse 29, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. You see what the younger son, the older brother's doing? He's throwing a little hissy fit. He's peeved because although the younger brother did all the bad things and he did all the good things, the younger brother gets the fattened calf. And he gets a party and the father's rejoicing. But the older brother just gets to be at home with father and he doesn't get a party and a calf. And he didn't get a goat. I wanted a goat. But he doesn't get a goat. And he's he's throwing a fit. And his father is so stoked about the younger brother. But what this shows us is the older brother never really cared about his father in the first place either. Last week we talked about the younger brother not caring about the father in the first place. He just wanted the father's stuff, which is why he said, Daddy, give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. I don't care about you. I just want what you have to give me. Here we see the older brother just cares about the father's stuff. He doesn't care about his father. If he cared about his father, he'd be celebrating in that party. He'd be dancing and singing and shouting and th- throwing a fit and hugging his brother. And wow, look at the ring and look at the robe and look at your shoes, your back. You've, can I get you something? Can I serve you? Can I love you? No, no, no. He's throwing a fit. He won't even go into the party. He calls out one of the servants. Hey, come here, come here. What's, what's going on? Oh, that, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going on. And the servant, you know, the father comes out. Hey, son, what's going on? He throws this big hissy fit. See, the younger brother, his lostness shows up in his immorality. The older brother's lostness shows up in his self-righteousness and his self-justification. The younger brother is clearly lost, and we look at the younger brother and we 're like, "Yeah, you woke up in a pigsty and you 're wishing you could have pig foods, and you're, you 've got a thousand dollar a day cocaine habit, and you 've got a prostitute on your side and it 's pretty clear that your life 's messed up, and you probably realize that something 's not right, and you probably want to make it right, but the older brother 's paying his taxes and he 's obeying father and he 's going to church, and his kids are well disciplined and they look clean on the outside and they 're well dressed and he 's got uh, the trophy wife or if you 're a woman you 've got the trophy husband and." All these things about... His life is good. But he's just as lost. And Jesus is actually communicating more lost. Because he's self-righteous. And he's trying to justify himself before his father. And his father is the same to each son. He goes out to each son. He goes out to the younger brother in his despair, and he goes out and meets the older brother in his rage of anger. However, the big difference here in this story is that the younger brother repents and comes home, and the older brother, in his pride, does not repent and come home. But the older brother stays in his self-pity. He stays in his rage, and the story ends there. The story ends with this older brother being too arrogant and too proud to bow his knee before his father and say, I'm sorry, can I come party with you? But he won't bow his knee because he thinks... I deserve everything that you just gave to that one, and yet you gave it to him and not to me. And the father's response is, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. But the younger son, he can't get over this idea that, Father, I've never disobeyed you. I've never done what you didn't want me to do. And that's why Paul says to the Galatians, he says, who's bewitched you? Who's fooled you into thinking? Who's made you think That you deserve anything from God. Who's put you under this spell? You see, the Galatians, they received the grace of God. They received the, the kindness of this Father in heaven by grace. It wasn't anything that they earned. And they knew that in the beginning. But then eventually they got into this spiral. They got into this thinking pattern. And Paul says they're bewitched. He says they're under some wicked spell that they think somehow they have earned something from God. And now they're trying to live this Christian life. See, see the, the younger son shows us, how do you get into the family? The older son shows us, how do you stay in the family? How do you walk with Father in such a way? How do you do this life with God in such a way that you don't become this self-righteous, I think I deserve things kind of attitude? And the Father is so good to him. And the Father's so gracious to him. And this morning, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we older brothers? Because maybe you've been going to church for a long time. Maybe you've been going 10, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Maybe you have served your tail off. Maybe you've given a lot of money. Maybe you've obeyed all the rules. Maybe you've crossed every T and dotted every I. And maybe on the exterior of your cup, the exterior of your life, it looks good and it looks clean. And you're like that whitewashed tomb that people look at and they go, wow, I wish I could have a life like that. But inside, you're full of self-righteousness. Inside, you're full of, you've built up all these things, and you think you are owed something by God. And I know in my own life, I've been there, I've done that. I go there, and I do that, and God is asking us the question today, are you there, are you doing that? And will you come home to me? So how do you know if you're an older brother? How can you know if you're like the one in this story? Well, there's a couple of ways. One way we've already discussed, do you love the Father's things? More than the Father himself. Is life to you exciting and delightful even if you don't have the Father's stuff? So if you don't get that car, if you don't have that job, if you don't have that house, if your kids don't behave perfectly, if you don't have the white picket fence, do you still love Father? Is he still good to you? If something goes wrong in life, if life becomes a shipwreck to you, is he still good in your eyes? Or Are you wallowing in this question of, God, why would you do this to me? God, well, I don't deserve any of this. I've done everything that you said I should do. I deserve good things. I want the calf. But we do it, don't we? God, my kids should obey. I obeyed the Bible. They should obey. God, why am I sick again? I shouldn't be sick again. I follow you and I pray. And Why don't you heal me? God, why did I lose my job? I work hard and I do what the Bible says about working hard and I, I'm a faithful employee or a faithful, why did I lose it? Or why is my roommate acting like this? Or why is my spouse acting like this? I thought I did it all right. It's just a revelation. It just exposes our heart. We love the Father's things more than we love the Father and we need to repent. So Maybe you're an older brother if you're in that place. Secondly, what's your attitude towards God, verse 29, he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. You see, the original language is much stronger. It more accurately says, all these years I've been slaving for you. See, for the older brother, his attitude towards God is that he was dutiful towards his father. He wasn't delighting in his father. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is he beautiful to us or is he just useful to us? Is he beautiful to us that we are gazing upon his beauty and looking at his glory and looking at his face and letting his face to shine upon us that we're letting him speak over us. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. With you, I'm well pleased. Are we delighting in the grace of God upon our lives or is he just useful to us? Are we just racking up a bunch of duties that we owe him and we're trying to make it back to him? All these years I've been slaving for you. Maybe you're an older brother. If you feel like the Christian life is a burden upon you, and you're not able to rest in, his burden is light and his yoke is easy, and he is giving rest for my soul. The Christian life should not be a more burdensome life than the non-Christian life, because the non-Christian life, you're always trying to either rack up good for God, or you're always just running away from God. It causes a lot of problems, but the Christian life is one of resting in the goodness that he's given to us. And even when you're like Paul and you're pouring your life out as a drink offering and you're giving every ounce you have to serve others and it literally feels like you're taking up a cross daily and dying, even then his burden is light and his yoke is easy because I'm resting in what he's done for me. I'm walking by his spirit and his grace upon my life. And so if it's become dutiful or it's become a burden, or it's, if you're hearing yourself saying, I have to go to church this morning or I have to serve in J-Kids or I have to play on the band or I have to go to community group or I have to read my Bible or I have to pray, you might have slipped into an older brother mindset. You might just be like the one in this story because you've been slaving for him and not delighting in him. You know, worship really helps us with this because it lifts our eyes to the one. Who's greater than us? It lifts our eyes to that rock, as David says, that he would set me upon that rock which is higher than I am. It lifts our eyes to see the beauty and the wonder of what he's done for me. Maybe you've been dutifully slaving after him, and also can you celebrate with the Father? Are you more excited about the new car or the new promotion or the new relationship? He's so cute. Or are you are you more excited about I know, I said it. I'm sorry. Are you more excited about the things you're getting? Are you more excited about how good you're doing in your Christian life? Oh, I read my Bible for four days in a row. You wouldn't believe how much I prayed last night? I'm feeling so good. That's great if you're getting filled. But if you're feeling awesome about it because, oh, I did some great stuff for God. You're, you could be slipping into this thing. Just be careful is all I'm saying. You could be slipping into this, and, you, and you're, not, you're celebrating your good works and not celebrating the work of God because that's what the older brother was doing. He's celebrating and recounting to the Father all these things that I've done, but there's this whole party going on with the fattened calf and all this excitement and dancing, and he can't get in on that because he can't stop thinking about himself. Are you rejoicing with God, or is your Christian life Look more just like working harder and a list of do's and don'ts and what I deserve. Or am I able to jump into the party and celebrate with my father in heaven? What do we do if we realize we are an older brother? Well, like the younger brothers, older brothers need the same exact thing. Younger brothers, we said he came to his senses and he came back to his father. Older brothers need the same thing, we need to come to our senses and we need to come back to our father. We need to realize I'm an older brother. I've been living in this place. I haven't been delighting in his grace. And then run back to our Father in heaven who gives us grace and mercy. Maybe you've been in church, like I said, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and you're feeling this pride rise up. You know what I'm talking about? You're feeling this pride of, I don't know if I can confess this to someone else. I don't know if I can tell someone else that I'm in this place because I should be way more mature than this. That is a frightening thought. Because we all need grace. We all need help. We all need to obey the Bible, which says, confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. So what do we do? We come running to his throne of grace. We come running humbly. God says that he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We come running humbly and we bow our knee and we say, Father, I'm so sorry I've been an older son. And we repent or we turn away from being an older son and we turn towards a life flooded by his grace grace. And mercy, and we ask Jesus, we don't just turn to him that we would receive grace again, but we ask him that he would give us the Father's heart. Because this story, in Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables. I want to look back at them just one more time. Because the bigger story of what we're looking at is is not just for our personal lives, but us having the Father's heart so that we can go and be better, older brothers than we are. The first story, a lost sheep. A man is tending a flock of a hundred sheep. One goes astray, and he leaves the 99 behind to go and get the one. When he gets the one, he brings it back, and everyone celebrates. Right? So something's lost. It gets found. Everyone celebrates. Second story, lost coin. Woman has ten silver coins. She loses one, lights a lamp, searches the house. She finds the coin, brings it back. Everyone celebrates. Third story, lost son. Son goes away. Who goes and looks? No one comes back, celebrates, but there's a son who isn't celebrating. There's two gaps in the story. One person isn't celebrating, one person didn't go and look. It's a, startling, it's a startling thing when you see it, that first two stories, people go out and look. Last story, no one goes to look. Well, who should have been the one to go and look? It's the older brother, right? In this culture, you would have known. It's the older brother who has the responsibility for keeping the household together. He's the one who has the responsibility. If the son goes, he goes and gets him. Edmund Clowney, who's a former Presbyterian pastor and president of uh, Westminster Westminster Seminary, preached a sermon on this story titled, Sharing the Father's Welcome. And in this sermon, he recounts the true story of a son who went missing in action in Vietnam War and his family couldn't find him, and the military did everything they could. But finally, the older brother took it upon himself, and he said, I- "I'm gonna, i to do everything I can do to go find my younger brother because this isn't right, and someone has to find him." So he sold everything he had. He got on a plane. He went over to Vietnam. And actually, neither party of the, neither the Viet, the Vietnam military or, or they didn't attack this brother, and they just called him the brother because they were so impressed by what he was doing he left everything he had to go and find his younger brother and if you're a christian that's what we're called to do as well do you know the older brother should have went at his own expense but he was so busy thinking about what he was doing and what he should be doing for the father and taking care of his own and looking to himself he couldn't look out to the younger brother but if we have the father's heart our hearts will break with the same love that our father's heart breaks for for this younger son and will be like the father who was sacrificially loving for his younger son. And this love isn't cheap. To go get a younger son, it's not that it's just a free ride. It's not that it's just this exciting thing that we get to go and do. No, no, to go get a younger brother, it costs a lot. It costs the father, his son, it costs Jesus his life. And it will cost you and I. Over the past 10 years, this church has impacted literally thousands of lives. If you look 10 years back, we were one location with 150 people. Last Sunday, we had 800 people across four locations. If you look at uh, the last 10 years, we've literally seen hundreds of people saved to Christ, baptized. Over here in this corner and in, in Washington and the lake, we've seen hundreds added to the family. Over 10 years' time, we went from 150 to 800. And we've sent, we've trained and sent dear friends to go and plant churches in other states. Last Sunday, we sent 130 to Kirkwood. Bit, but as much as it's cost, of course, Jesus... Uh, paid the price for sin. I'm not saying at all that somehow we pay more than Jesus paid. Jesus paid the price for sin. Jesus made it possible for younger brothers to come home, but it's the sacrifice of those in this room, many who have been here over the years, many who have even started coming and already making sacrifices that makes it possible for younger brothers and sisters to come home to their Father in heaven. It doesn't come free for us. Like Paul said, he said, I'm filling up what was lacking in the suffering of Christ. So for us in our lives as believers, we fill up what's lacking in the suffering of Christ. Well, how could you say there's something lacking in the suffering of Christ, Paul? It doesn't make any sense. You're the one who said that it was the finished work on the cross. How did he fill up what was lacking? What was lacking? What was lacking was an expression of the love of Christ. What was lacking was a hand to hold and someone to care and someone to listen and someone to love. What was lacking in the expression of the love of Christ was that body of Christ on the earth, which he says is us. And many of you have sacrificed. If you call Jubilee Church home, I just want to recount a few things that uh, I think you've done to see this church grow and so many lives touched in this city and in these communities You've paid a dear price for this church to be where it's at. You've served countless hours. You've given huge sums of money. Over the past three years, in addition to regular tithes and offerings, you've helped raise over $150,000 to launch new gospel outposts to find more younger brothers. You've encouraged and cared for so many. I know so many of you. You've cooked meals. You've made hospital visits. You've carried burdens. You've loved and you've loved and you've loved and you've loved and you've loved, and it's cost you. You've given away your leaders. You've invested in people, and then you've sent them off which is hard to do. You've sacrificed vacations. You've sacrificed job promotions. You've sacrificed your weekends. You've sacrificed your late nights. You've taken that phone call when someone calls and says, I'm in the hospital. You've taken that phone call when someone calls and says, I need someone to talk to. You've woken up early to make sure that things would happen here on Sunday. You've woken up early to go and care for someone. You've brought meals to the hospital. You've prayed and prayed and prayed, and you've labored as though it was your own problems because you cared about those whom you were loving. You've prioritized the advance of his kingdom and the building of his church over the advance and the building of your own life. And for that, I want to thank you. I just want to honor what's been happening in this church because it hasn't been happening by a mistake. It's been happening by people who said, I'm going to give my life to see the kingdom of God advance and the love of this Father go out and out and out and out. And we felt it. Last Sunday, we felt it. Last Sunday, there were so many empty chairs in this room. It was a little sad. You might have looked out and been like, man, where did the people go? Did the rapture happen? Like, did I, <laughs> did I miss it? Like, Jesus, I'm here. I want it. Take me. Maybe, maybe you did. You, you're going to feel it too because a third of the people who carried the ministry of this local church just left. And so a third of that ministry is either going to go away or it's going to fall upon the shoulders of people in this room. You, you felt it when you just served your fourth Sunday in a row in J-Kids. And you know, next Sunday I'm probably going to have to hop in again. You felt it if you were the person who came in this morning and you opened this building at 5 a.m. to make sure the air conditioning we were on, we weren't all in here sweating. Not as bad this week, last week, really needed it. You felt it. when Before, there were five people every Sunday coming up and saying, hey, how are you? Great to meet you. Hey, how are you? How's your day? How's your week? And now, no one's coming up to you. And you're looking around and you're thinking, oh, I don't know that person, I don't know that person, I don't know that person. And I could go say hi and I could go ask him, but yeah, you know, I'm kind of the new kid on the block. No, no, you're going to feel it because that's what's going to have to happen. We're all going to have to take on the ownership of this. We're all going to have to step in and say, oh God, would you do it again? And it's a blessing, but it's going to cost us. Does it cost us to be a reproducing church? Does it cost us to always be sending out more so that more and more could come home? to our Father in Heaven? Absolutely. Yes, it cost us, but it's worth it, isn't it? It's worth every single ounce of energy. It's worth every single dollar. It's worth every single hour. It's worth every single crying baby. It's worth it all because there are men and women who still need to hear this amazing gospel of grace. And you might think, you know, we're in the Midwest and everyone's heard the gospel of grace and if people just get their butts in church, they'd be fine. No, 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 it's not true. I was 17 years old. I never once heard the gospel of grace. Had I heard about Jesus? Had I heard he died for your sins? Yeah, I heard some of that stuff. I had never heard the gospel of grace. Either I heard it and I didn't hear it, you know what I'm saying? Like my ears hadn't been open, or I really had never heard it. The liberating gospel of grace which comes to you and says it has nothing to do with what you've done. It has everything to do with what he's done for you. And the reason I heard it is because there were men and women who laid down their lives, so that I could hear it. There were men and women who came and preached the gospel to me and didn't just wait for me to get in the church building. There were men and women who served and loved and prayed and cared, who discipled and trained and sent. And because of that, my life was touched, and I experienced this God of grace, and your lives were touched, and you experienced this God of grace. And because of that, we can go out and do the same for others. But even now, we have a decision. Ten years from now, I want to know, are you going to be among those? who are laying down your lives for others? Are you going to be among those who are paying the cost when there's more than 2,000 people over seven, eight, nine, ten 10 locations, which will many of them will have made first-time commitments to Christ and been baptized over here in this corner? Many of them will have made first-time commitments to Christ after this day. By God's grace, if Jesus doesn't return, I mean, he may come back tomorrow, we're all going to party in heaven. But if we have another 10 years left, will you be one of those who pays the cost and lays down your life more and more and more could come in. Do you have the father's heart or do you just want the father's things? The heartbreaking part of this story is that the younger brother got a Pharisee for an older brother. But you and I, we don't get a Pharisee for an older brother. By putting a picture of a flawed older brother in front of us, Jesus wants us to long for a perfect older brother. And he was that perfect older brother. He wasn't just willing to go to the next country for us. He wasn't just willing to go to the next state for us. He wasn't just willing to come across the street, knock on our door, and invite us to church. No, no, no. He came from heaven to earth for us. He was willing to pay it all, not just his money, not just his time, but his entire life. He paid the infinite cost of our debt by his life on that cross, and we get a robe of dignity because he was stripped naked of his. We get His acceptance and his love because he became an outcast. We get the cup of eternal joy because he drank the cup of eternal wrath. He's the one who's paid the price. Will we pay the price? Yes, we'll pay the price. And I hope this morning that you come to this place of saying, I'm going to pay the price. But greater than anything we would ever pay, greater than any sufferings we would fill up which are lacking in him, he has suffered, he has died, he has given his life that we could have life in him.